you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 6, your copy of God's Word. I hope you have had a great spring break week and have had some time to enjoy this beautiful weather. Uh, At the end of February was the last time I've got to speak with you on a regular Sunday morning, and Pastor Scott had just finished a two-week series on Ephesians 5, and so I continued in Ephesians 6 talking about uh, the godly family relationships, and I said, if I really wanted to go on to the next section of the scripture, and maybe in a future time when I get to preach, I'll do that. Well, it's here, so we're going to do it today. So Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be looking at the godly workplace relationship. The godly workplace relationship. What does that look like? Now, most of you are probably or have been employed in a company that is not owned or operated by a believer. So you may have a supervisor or manager, uh, or maybe a supervisor or manager in that company, and you have to be careful how much you say and how much you do uh, concerning your faith. Others of you uh, may work for a Christian-owned or operated company, and that means there are never any problems or drama, and everything is always done to the highest ethic and above board, Right? Some of you are employers. You own the company, and every day is a good day at your business. All of your employees love Jesus, are always on time, go above and beyond, and you never have to think about, am I being taken advantage of? You're probably thinking, Kevin, obviously you've not worked a real job. He's living in a dreamland, or he has just crawled out from underneath a rock somewhere. What is the reality of the workplace? People work there. Broken people work there. Christians who have had bad days, maybe even on a regular basis, work there. Garrett, no amens from you if you're in here. She works for me, by the way. That happens, doesn't it? Sometimes it is harder to work for a Christian-owned company because the expectations are much higher. When fellow workers find out that you are a believer... You're held to a higher standard. You are scrutinized more. And basically, you will operate out of a fishbowl. Let me give you a few statistics this morning about your employment. If you have your sheet, you can fill some of these in. Best estimates say that you will spend 13 years and two months at work over a lifetime. You will only spend 328 days in comparison socializing with friends in a lifetime. You will change jobs an average of 12 times in a lifetime. You will stay at a job an average of 4.2 years before changing jobs. If you work a standard 40-hour work week, you will work 1,960 hours a year. Now, if you work 50 years, and that's going from 18 to 68, you will have worked 98,000 hours, not including overtime. That is... 22.4% of your life. What's my point? You spend a lot of time at work. How is your job or your business making a difference for God's kingdom? Well, that's a tough question. It's a sobering question. So we're going to look at our text this morning. Will you stand with me as I read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9? says, slaves or bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, 
not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. God, our workplaces, we spend a lot of time there, a lot of energy there. And God, I know sometimes we may look and say, God, is what I'm doing each and every day making a difference for you, God? Maybe this morning would be a time to do a gut check and to say, what do I really do spending a quarter of my life in a place of employment? Does it really make a difference for you, Lord? Help me with that. God, I pray that I would move aside, that your Holy Spirit would speak through your word, that, God, we would be challenged today, and we will walk away from here making adjustments where we need. God, thank you for what you're going to do, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. You know, right off, you may be thinking that we are out of bounds because Paul is talking about slaves. He's addressing slaves and masters, not employees and bosses. But we probably have preconceived ideas about this issue of slavery because American history has taught us something, but we need to go back to Greek and Roman culture in the first century and look at the history there because it's a little different from American history and this issue of slavery. It is estimated that one-third to one-half of the population of a city like Ephesus would have been slaves or bondservants. So a much bigger population than what we see, obviously, in slavery, uh, even going back in American history in their culture. These bondservants generally worked for pay in order to pay off debts and earn back their freedom. You know, today, we get into debt, and if we get into trouble, what happens? Our credit is scarred. We may have to actually go into bankruptcy. We can even be in prison if we do things with money that we shouldn't. But back then, they didn't have those things, those, some of those safeguards. They basically had to go to work for that person that was the lender and pay back that debt, pay back their debts as a slave. Many of these slaves were highly educated prisoners taken during war. Now, we can go back to a prime example in the Old Testament when we look at the lives of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar took them and made them, uh, and put them in a special place and, and elevated them in the kingdom to serve him as their, his slaves, but also to help rule the kingdom. These principles in these verses do apply to our modern-day workplace as Christian employees and Christian supervisors or business owners. You see, in seeking employment or in seeking employees, we enter into a contract on a rate of pay, on our benefits, in return for performing a specific job, providing a skill set, and, and, and setting goals and, and meeting those goals that that company sets. One of the primary and obvious reasons we do this is to pay our bills and to provide for our family and save for retirement. But for a believer, for a Christian, it's got to be much, much more than just that. 
So we're going to start with the relationship of the employee to the employer. And the first thing we see is the right action. The right action is obedience. Obedience. It's the third word right out of the gate to the employee. There is an assumption here that you are serving under a boss, or in this case a master, who is a follower of Jesus, or at bare minimum does not make you violate your reasonable convictions as a follower of Jesus. But there are no other ifs in this scripture, in this statement. In fact, the same word for children, obey your parents, up in verse 1, is the same word, obey here, your earthly masters. Obey. And when I say there's no if statements, I mean this. Obey if you are asked to do what is easy and not difficult. Don't see that. Obey if it seems fair to you as an employee. Obey if other employees are asked to go the extra mile as much as you are. Obey if and fill in the blank at your place of employment. Can I be frank for a minute and ask you to to change your thinking about this a little bit? If your boss comes to you with extra work, it might be that he or she trusts you to get the job done because you've proven to do that in the past. That might be be why they're asking you to do that. In fact, uh, hopefully your boss would, would let you know that and tell you that. There are no if statements. In fact, on, uh, on in verse 5, it describes what this obedience looks like. It says, obey with fear and trembling. Now, when you go back to the original language and translate that, it translates to obey with fear and trembling. That's what it means. And when you try to reason it away and say, well, it's just, uh, you know, to honor and respect them. But when you directly disobey your employer, you better be ready to face the consequences. And that normally brings about what? Fear. Don't get mad at your boss if you were told not to do something, but you did it anyway, and now it costs the company. Own up to it. Own up to what you did and apologize. But you may have to pay some consequences. You may even lose your job. But we have to own that. I am guilty of this. Let me share an illustration. One time my boss asked me to clean out a shed that was filled with junk and take it to a dumpster at another location. We had been getting a lot of rain, so he said, don't pull the truck down there, you'll get stuck. Well, it was a couple weeks later, it was an emergency, we got around to it, and it hadn't been raining as much, so I decided to pull the truck down there and save a lot of time. It saved the company. Me and my helper got the truck loaded and started to head out, and you know what happened? My wheels started spinning. I tried this way around the house. Nope, there's a neighbor's car sitting there. Can't get out. I tried this way around the house. It was a little steeper, and there were roots there. You know, in a car, you can't go real fast over roots, so I couldn't get up before the tire started spinning. I had to float back down. Well, about this time, I started praying. Come on, you've been there. Lord, I know I disobeyed you, and you're going to probably let me learn a valuable lesson here, but I promise I've already learned it. (laughs) Please let me get out of here because I'll never hear the end of this. And about the third try, you know, you're almost nudging your car when you're driving. About the third try, my wheels hit dry ground. They caught, and I went out, and I said, praise the Lord. I got out. I'm not going to get fired. And by the way, I did tell my boss boss, a few days later 
about it. And he didn't fire me. Y'all been there? We got to face the consequences, right? If we disobey, the right action, obedience, the right attitude, the right attitude, it says to obey with a sincere heart. To obey with a sincere heart. Take your job seriously. Take your job personally. The way you do your job is a reflection of your character. And you'll notice it doesn't say, uh, it doesn't qualify if you're in your career job or on your first job. In fact, you are setting patterns for your work ethic the first day you start your first job. Take it seriously. What does it mean, young adult, young person? What does that mean when you're starting your first job? Let me give you some practical things to do. The first of all is this, be dependable. Be on time. Be there when you're scheduled. Leave when you're supposed to. Don't milk the clock on your breaks. Be dependable. Here's another one. Be known as a hard worker. Work hard when you're on the clock. Take initiative to do more than the minimum. Go above and beyond the minimum standard of what's expected of you at your job. Be the best you can be in your position, even if it's a starting job, even at minimum wage, even if you've said, my pleasure, 8,000 times that day. Any Chick-fil-A employees in the house? Okay, I thank you. Guys, if you will do some of these simple things that God asks of us, you will never have to worry about finding a job. It's amazing. My son came home from, from police academies in his 10th week in Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department. And when he was applying to go into that, he said, Dad, 80% of the people who fill out a, a job application to go in the police department and academy don't pass the drug test. And they're going into law enforcement, folks. That's amazing. If you will be a godly young person and you will be a person who is dependable, known as a hard worker, works hard at their job no matter the position, you will not have to worry about a job. You'll not have to worry about asking off for vacation when it's time to to be off a week. Guys, learn from that. With fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, and as you would Christ. Follow the right example for the right reason. Look again at verse 6 and 7. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. If you are a follower of Jesus, he is there when you don't fudge the time clock or time sheet. He is there when you don't walk past that part of the job that everybody else avoids. He's there when you listen and help that employee that everybody else on the job makes fun of. On and on I could go. It's not if Jesus were standing there, what would you do? He is standing there, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Jesus is our best example. You see, people were drawn to Jesus because he served them. Jesus served people, not because he was worried about being liked by men. He served because he was doing the will of his Father. 
What are the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, and your coworker qualifies as your neighbor. One of the best ways to show love to your neighbor, your coworker, is to serve them. Help them with a task that maybe isn't on your to-do list when you have some extra time. Jump in and help them get something done that you might be able to leave early, but you see them there, they're going to have to leave late. You jump in and help them so they can leave a whole lot earlier. Cover hours for them when they have a crisis they need to handle. Be a person people enjoy working with because you pull your weight and then some. Look for ways to serve others, not because your boss or other employees are watching, but because your heavenly father asked you to do it. That's why. And that leads us to the fourth point. Realize that this is kingdom work. Kingdom work. Look at verse 8. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Here's the great thing about this. It doesn't matter if you're the starting minimum wage employee or the vice president of the company. When you do things with an attitude as unto the Lord... The Lord keeps track, and you know in your heart you've done it with the right motive, and God's going to reward that. God is going to reward that. Now let's look at the relationship of the employer to the employee. Look at verse 9. It says, Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. So Paul comes back to the masters, those in charge, and says, do the same to the slaves or those that work for you. Does this mean that the master or the boss obeys the the, the slaves or the employees and we just go through all the same characteristics down the line? I like the way that William Barclay puts this. He says that the master must remember that the day comes when he or those over whom he has set will stand before God. And then the ranks of the world will no longer be relevant. The problem of work would be solved if men and masters alike would take their orders from God. I like that. What this verse means is that masters must also have the same attitude in knowing for whom they really work. As an example, what would happen in a company or your department if the leader truly feared God? What would happen? What would happen if an owner or manager humbled themselves and really valued the opinions of his employees and tried to implement the suggestions of those that work on the front lines of their company each and every day? What if a company owner or manager's number one goal was not bottom line or sales goals, but kingdom work? What would happen? You may be thinking, Kevin, I'm in middle management. I don't make company-wide policy. I carry out that policy with those I've been charged to lead and I'm commissioned to to those above me to, to accomplish those goals. So your hands are tied to some degree. Where are they? What are some things you can do as a witness at your job? First of all, this one, ask God to show you how. How to do kingdom work in your position. God has placed you in your role, in your spot, at this time, in that company, for a very specific reason. 
And yes, you've got to work. And yes, you've got to pay your bills. But you have a group of people around you that God wants you to influence for the kingdom. That's big. But so many times we get caught up in the task. And we think, oh my goodness, I have to flip another burger. I'm going to die. If I got to do this next thing, I'm going to... Guys, don't look at it that way. Yes, it's a job as an ends to a means to, to make money and pay. But you're in a place with people all around you, customers, fellow employees, bosses, people that you're put in charge over. You can influence them in a huge way. Are you doing that at your job? Start small. Are you praying for your employees by name? Are you in tune to what they're struggling with so you can pray for them? Maybe you start asking questions and getting to know your employees on a deeper level. Find out who they are apart from their job, from their position. Find out who they are. What can you put in your office that tells people you're a believer? I mean, the obvious one is a Bible. Do your Bible reading. Have it there on your desk, in your place of work. A nicely framed verse on the wall. Pictures of a mission trip that you've been on. Maybe some conversation starters. In my office, over to the left, I have a file, a vertical file, and on top of it, there is a, a giraffe. It's kind of a, a long, it's a, a long, skinny, uh, carved, just a, a, a craft uh, artwork that a, a person gave me. And I have it sitting there, and some, every once in a while, somebody comes in and says, Kevin, what's that giraffe? I'm like, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you about it. When we were in Siatemba, South Africa, on a mission trip, just like our team, like you guys were last week, we were in a little church, and outside that church was a courtyard with a bit with like a big fence, brick, brick and block fence. And there was probably 200-plus kids running all over that courtyard. Our teens were out there, uh, and we were doing like game time for Backyard Bible Club or VBS. And me and Terry Gurley were standing up at the front wall talking about the next part of the day's events or whatever. And up that dirt road... Uh, we're walking these two ladies. They're walking, you know, dressed in full African garb. And they walked up and they were looking at the kids running everywhere and they saw us and they walked over and they said, what's going on? And we said, well, we're here from America and we're here with teenagers and we're doing a backyard Bible club and telling these kids about Jesus. And they went, they looked at each other and they looked at us and they said, tell us about Jesus. We're like, what? Okay, awesome. So we started talking to them And that led to more conversation. We went inside the church and sat down in the pew. Long story short, these two ladies, it was a mom and the daughter, ended up receiving Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They were from a different country, like far away country, like hundreds of miles away country. They were there for a craft show. They had all their crafts there. And that one of those ladies pulled that giraffe out of her big bag and handed it to me. And that giraffe came back with me. It means a lot to me. I said it right there. When I see that giraffe, I think of that story. And those ladies looked at us and said, can you come tell our people about Jesus? I said, we can't right now, but you can start praying about God sending some people your way and telling them about Jesus. But you need to go and tell your family and your friends. And here's some material to take with you. So when I see that giraffe, what do I do? I can pray and say, God, be with those ladies, that mom, that daughter, those missionaries. Guys, there's things like that you can set on your desk. And when people walk in and say, what is that giraffe? I'm glad you asked. Sit down, I want to tell you. What a great way to start a conversation about the Lord Jesus and your experience.
Christian books that you're reading. Put them on your desk. A simple coffee mug that has a godly message on it. These are all simple ways and conversation starters for you to be able to be a witness to those that you work with each and every day. And then maybe ask permission to go bigger. Could you start a Bible study before work and it be voluntary? Maybe 30 minutes before you're supposed to be there for your job, you, you meet in a room and you start praying and saying, God, bring people. Maybe you study through the book of John. Maybe you get, uh, go to our website and you look on there and get a, uh, um, uh, a, a way to, to have Right Now Media. You can go and get that free of charge. We'll send you a link. And I've written it down there on the sheet for you. There's a series called Work as Worship. I'm telling you, we, walk, we watch some of these with our young adults in Epic. There are some great videos on there. They talk about uh, issues of employment and it's your job, but they work ever so cleverly and awesomely the gospel into those presentations. And there's some great stuff. Chris Teal is one of our helpers in our group. And he said, man, I want to take this and show it to some of my people in my, my team at work. It's that good, that kind of stuff. I'd encourage you, go watch those. Go on the website, get a link, go there. There's all kinds of things for you to look at and use in these kind of Bible studies. The point is that people see you operate differently and are guided by God as a leader at your workplace. Do they see that? Does this mean you don't have to make tough decisions and sometimes be the bad guy? Mike Mooney's not in this session, but he's one of my friends, and he worked, I don't know how many years, I think close to 30, with Xerox as upper-level management. And I remember the day we went to lunch, and he said, Kevin, I I said, man, how's your week going? He said, it's going to be terrible. I said, tell me, what are you talking about? He said, I have to go this week, and I have to fire this many families from Xerox. I mean, he was, I mean, he was torn up over it. And he didn't say fire men or women from our company. He said fired families. Because, guys, he understands that when he fires somebody for company, from a comp- his company, it's going to affect that family. And he was agonizing over it, saying, Kevin, i got to have wisdom. you got to pray for me. i got to go see these people. i got to fly out this week, and i got to let X amount of families go from our company. Guys, that's tough. You still got to make the tough decisions. But here's the thing. Do your people see that you're bathing those things in wisdom and in prayer and that sometimes those hard decisions, you're agonizing over them as a believer because it's hard. Do they hear that in your voice? Do they see that? Paul points out something not to do. He says, giving up threatening. Guys, threatening people in your job may cause fear It may work for a little while, but does it really work deep down inside? I love the notes on this verse in my John MacArthur Study Bible. It says this, The spirit-filled boss uses his authority and power with justice and grace. Never putting people under threats, never abuse or inconsiderate, he realizes that he has a heavenly master who is impartial. God sees man's value no matter his position. People know when you respect them and value them and they will treat you as their boss the very same way. Those of you here this morning that are business owners and managers at all levels, ask yourself a question. How do people respond when I come to work? Do they scatter? Do they 
walk around on eggshells? Do they butter you up and tell you everything that you want to hear? Or do they respect you because you respect them? Are they glad you're there because they know you're going to go to battle with them in the trenches if need be? One of my favorite bosses at Sears Automotive, I worked there for almost 11 years before coming to Pitts. His name was Ken Robinson. He was the store manager. He would come in every day in a shirt and tie and coat. He would walk to the auto center, and I found out later that he was an auto center manager before he came to our store to be our store manager. And he would walk through the auto center. That was the way we would come in and clock in and all that. And he would look, look around. And if he saw that customers were backed up at the desk, cars were waiting in the line of tires, he'd walk back in the office, take his tie off, his coat off, and he'd come out there and he'd start slinging tires with us. And we'd knock it out. And as soon as we got caught up, as soon as the log board was all caught up, he'd go grab his coat and tie. He'd head up, he'd head on to his office and we wouldn't see him anymore. But guys, do you know what that did to our employees? You know what that did to the Sears Auto Center employees? They respected Mr. Robinson because he was willing to get his hands dirty. He was willing to get in the trenches with his employees and help them out of a a tough fix. That's what we need to be about. Do they come up to you uh, uh, about more than company facts and figures because they know you care more about them as a person than as an employee. You know, the more I study the scripture, especially practical passages like Ephesians chapter 6, the more I realize I need the wisdom of our Heavenly Father. Amen? Our master, to navigate this life and to be the man of God, the leader of God that I need to be. Have you been leaning on him for wisdom as you spend almost a quarter of your life at your workplace? What is God saying to you this morning about your role at that place? He put you there. Are you using that place for his kingdom's work? Would you stand with me as I pray? God, we need you. We need your wisdom, God. You have placed us in the exact spot we are right now. And God, so many times we complain about it. We fret over it. We don't like it. God, help change our minds and our eyes to see this is where you have us in life. There are people around us right now who need encouragement from you, who need to hear the gospel, and who need to be saved. So God, no matter our lot, help us to be saved as well. God, you use us to do kingdom work. Challenge us with this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.